This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm Sally Christie and in the cave with me tonight we have the wonderful Emma Westwood. I'll try to be wonderful for yeah, you, you're, you're Sally. <laughs> and the fantastic Flick Ford. Oh, I can't. You. I can't live up to um <laughs> to Paul's jokes that he does. I just can't I'll do, do it. the 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 uh, crazy calamitous Sally Christie. Thanks. Thanks. That's good. <laughs> Good, I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> um, before we get into things tonight, I think that collectively um, we would like to pay our respects to Stephen the Ghost Walker, who um, was involved with Triple R for the past 37 years and was really instrumental in shaping Triple R to be what it is today. He passed away last week. So, um, yeah, I think that we would all like to pay our respects to him. We we're, all- the, we're the secondary cave. Yeah. You know, there's been two caves on Triple R and we came in second Mm -hmm. and, you know, hats off to that. What an amazing uh, pair of footprints to have to to travel in. Yep, that's it. And such an incredible amount of time to dedicate to really shaping what this is and what we love, you know. Mm. God, yeah, the legacy. Mm. The the weird thing is that we've got a little bit of a a film link tonight, don't we, Sally? We do. Tell us about it, Emma. Oh, all right. Why (laughs) not? We're going to be talking about Dogs in Space and that was at a time when, well, Triple R features in Dogs in Space. I think it's one of the opening things is there's a spot about Triple R. Absolutely. And it was a time when uh, Stephen Walker, the Goost, was um, a program manager here. Mm -hmm. So um, he never leaves us, let's just say. His fingerprints are all over this show too. Mm. I highly recommend you uh, re-listen to some of the segments that they've got up on the website as well. There's some really there's amazing interview with Patty Smith. So ah, look at it. All right, yeah, all right. Okay, put that on the to-do list. Yeah, we will go back (laughs) Mm. and have a listen. So on tonight's show, we will take a trip back to 19th century rural Vietnam in Ash Mayfair's directorial debut, The Third Wife. As Emma mentioned, we will also revisit a, a dilapidated Richmond share house and an Australian cinema icon um, starring Michael Hutchins' Dogs in Space, which leads us to our first film this evening, Mystify, Michael Hutchins. So Mystify, Michael Hutchins is a new documentary about the late and great frontman of In Excess, directed by Richard Lowenstein, who was a friend of Hutchins and also the director of Dogs in Space, Mystify is an insightful portrait of the internationally renowned in excess front man. Woven from an archive of rich imagery, Michael's private home movies and those of his lovers, friends and family, the film delves beneath the public persona of the charismatic rock god and transports us through the looking glass to reveal a multifaceted, intensely sensitive and complex man. Um, Emma, you saw Mr. Fire last night. I what did. Were your thoughts on it? Recently, very recently. Mm. Yeah, I think this, um, this there's something that stands out straight away about Mr. Fire, <laughs> which is the the fact that it doesn't have any talking heads in it, um, which I found was um, a really in, a, a very smart device. Let's I, say I can comment a little bit on the decisions as to why that was made. Um, I know that Richard Lowenstein said that that was very, very intentional because it did stand out to me too when I first Mm. saw it that there were no talking heads. And it was 
because he wanted people to be at that moment, at that time, and not looking at perhaps um, Kylie Minogue as she is now, but just hearing her voice. Or how and, she's aged. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or not. Hasn't aged. Or hasn't aged. <laughs> but, um, so that yeah. we're, we're really in that moment. So we have that voice telling us about those things that have happened at that time. But, um, you know, we're in that moment still and we're not looking at these people yeah. how they look now and it's such amazing footage as well yeah, of that incredible. time i think that was one of the things mm. that's, yeah that's strength yeah, yeah that's yeah it's it's in it really interesting it, it was confronting for me because i found it very noticeable and um i also i i missed the talking heads at the start and i'm not saying that that meant that they should be in there it was more the way my brain had been trained and it's the more that I, I realize I probably google a lot of performers now to see what they look like now compared to then and things like it's just a tabloid mentality mm. that it's, it's also an interesting thing where there's so many talking heads in in mystify that are really big names. Yeah, that you, you, so you kind of would assume, assume that yeah. they would be put in there as talking heads because they're a draw card. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it's a very really clever decision that I you made. I thought it was incredibly mm. clever. And even though I, I was it, it was making me hunger for something, I then relaxed into it. I got over it. I got over myself and my <laughs> own crappiness. And <laughs> well, it kind of annoyed me. I went, why do you want to see this? It doesn't, this is really, in some ways I felt that it probably made for a better interview process um that there's something to be i mean we're sitting here in a radio station now and it's just our voices going across i would argue that there are some people who would be much more confronted if they were looking at their audience Mm -hmm. or they knew that their own face was going to be on camera so it created a different sense of interviewing it was also, to be called Mystify Michael Hutchins. This was not about In Excess at all. Mm. It was about Michael Hutchins. If you don't like looking at Michael Hutchins, which I'm guessing there's not a lot of people who don't like looking at Michael Hutchins. <laughs> the, bit, yeah, <laughs> the bit when they talk about his eyes and how, like, magnetic, like how he has this magnetism and then you yeah. just see, like, there's endless footage of him and like, yeah. Those yeah, he's amazing. He's <laughs> magnetic. Because this is Michael. You're going to watch however long it was. I'm not sure. A lot of Michael Hutchins. And um, I, Ed, what struck me as well with, you know, I have elements and in excess have touched on, you know, obviously growing up with in excess in Australia. There's some seminal moments in my life, as I think most people, that an in excess song will touch on. They, they kind of, at one stage, I felt that in, in excess were becoming derivative of themselves and they became a guitar riff that was read done uh, mm-hmm. numerous times this film managed to um really revive in excess what made in excess wonderful to me i thought the choice of music was very well uh, well done the way it was all brought together um it's it showed a great sensitivity for the band and an understanding of what what the band was about but more through hutchins what he was about mm. and richard lowenstein who you know who made it obviously has a massive connection with the band as well as a connection with music and an understanding of music i felt that came through 
incredibly and artfully also in the vision and the way the vision was married with it the the graininess of this you know home video stuff oh, i loved all of that footage, yeah. and especially the ones that were recorded by him so there's a, quite a few scenes of <clears throat> during all of his tours of him going down uh trains and going down streets and especially the the um footage of um him with kylie minogue i really enjoyed those kind I did of like too. interactions and just very vulnerable very and personal. That, personal. that very the first time that we see Kylie in this documentary is really incredible. And I saw I watched this got about a month ago with I think a thousand other people. And mm. that kind of where we first see her and she is so young and you know She's like a she's a Sandra D. She really <laughs> is. She is, is so perfect. So, it is yeah. actually the classic yeah. Grace dynamic there. The, isn't the it? audience <laughs> reaction to that way that she just mm. turns and looks at the camera and she is Sandra mm. Diaz. But you can see really how much incredible. she loved him. Mm. Like, you know, he was holding the camera at that stage. And that was the interesting thing. You got to see because a lot of it was shot by Hutchins himself. And you could see, especially with his lovers, their reaction to him. Uh, I thought was, you know, it, it, it was the sensuality and the love came through in the, in, in the camera. You could see it down the camera. Mm. I think he's yeah. always been very good Lowenstein has always been very good at capturing sensuality on on camera and especially like because of his background in in music videos I think that he's very good at sort of evoking that sense I kind of had a a few issues with it I think that sometimes it's really hard when you're reviewing a documentary where you get caught up in the subject and thinking like it can be a fascinating subject but does that necessarily make it a good film and I think some of the structure of how it was how he approached um, the information about Michael and how people were responding to it was a sort of a little bit higgledy-piggledy. And I know that I heard him interviewed um, on Triple R uh, a few weeks ago and he was talking... Um, Lowenstein was talking about um, that he decided to anchor all of these key points to the women in Hutchinson's oh, life. Oh, I felt that you could... That was yeah. very strong, yeah, very strong yeah. through and it. I think that that worked, and especially when you're thinking... Mm. Um, and his his explanation for doing that was that it was with these women and these different women that he was able to um, confide in and, and all of... And, and so they were, like, the best place mm. to sort of open that up. But I just... I. I'm not sure. I kind of, I wonder if I, I mean, I also grew up with NXS and it was like, um, I was chatting to a friend afterwards and she was talking about how she remembers when um, Hutchins died and like just her, having her mum respond like so strongly and be like, why is she, or like dad's fine with this whole <laughs> set up, mum is like <laughs> devastated. I, I found that when I, when I was watching the film, I had the same thoughts. I was like, okay, this is really attached to the women in his life. But then when I've heard Lowenstein also talk about his decision to do that, to sort of give a vulnerability to Michael Hutchins that we hadn't seen before, um, I found it to be really successful because I really did come away from watching Mystify and um, seeing him in a light that I hadn't really seen him in before, Mm. which I think was Lowenstein's intention with this. He did come away as somebody that was, you know, complex and not a prat. And yeah. I think that's how he's portrayed a lot of the time is that, you know, he's this kind of real prat. And, um, Do you think that was more in the British tabloids though? Rather I don't know. Than- it's, it's so interesting because I remember when, when he died, we had to, in high school, 
watch his funeral at school. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like live wow. on TV, it was just it's such a big deal mm. because there was all the Paul Yates stuff and this huge British tabloid sensation around it at that point that, yeah, it was just, it was crazy. Hang on, mm. but you're at school in, in, in Australia? Yeah. And it, yeah. Oh. In wow. Backers Marsh, in art class. <laughs> Clearly my teacher just wanted to yeah. watch it. But I, I'll, I'll just never forget that. It was kind of like, okay, we're at school and they're making us watch this funeral on TV. So it was so sensationalised. And I did come away from Mystify seeing a different, really different side of him that I felt the, I had never seen before. Yeah, some mm. of the revelations, because I, I, <laughs> so this is a bit embarrassing. When I was 12, well, not embarrassing, but just like I obviously didn't do a very good project, but I did a project <laughs> on Michael Hutchins. I love all and, of our high school stories <laughs> of Michael Hutchins. Yeah. Going, yeah. <laughs> but I did a project on him and I remember uh, it was sort of to do a, a sort of memoir <laughs> on someone famous. <laughs> and, I um, know what was in that project. You should well, have bought it in. When I, I grow up, I want to have sex with this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, I had to, as I think it was 12 at the time, it was my first year of high school, and I wrote about auto fixation. Uh, what is it? Auto erotic oh, fixation. So, but wow. incorrectly. Uh, <gasps> that is another point yeah. about this film that I didn't realise that. I always thought that, and I don't think that this is giving away the ending or anything like that. <laughs> but I, I still was sitting with the the belief that it was an autoerotic, you know, fixation death yeah. and that it was ruled suicide in, yeah, in the Yeah, I was under the same impression. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay, so, okay, I'm that glad was, I'm more on the same page with that because yeah. I felt very you like... The only one. <laughs> I didn't do a school assignment on it, but... <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, was I, did a, I did a school assignment on the Netherlands. Oh, well. God, Emma. <laughs> Flix well, is way better yeah, than yours. I was way cooler as a 12-year-old, yeah. obviously. <laughs> that was mine. Um, but I, yeah, so that was quite interesting. And also, um, yeah, some of the re- revelations. I probably actually don't think I want to give too much more away, though, because I think there are some things that may not mm. be in the this public is, knowledge. Yeah. So this is the, there was, yeah. yeah, there was obviously, there, there is a revelation in this movie that I had no idea about, I which I found no very idea. interesting. I so. had absolutely mm. no idea. I but, found that quite distressing, yeah. actually. Yeah, and also some of the, one of the most fascinating aspects of it was the relationship with um, his mum and what happened with his uh, mum leaving at some and point with just him and his brother. And I thought that maybe that could have been a bit explored a bit more and know mm-hmm. that you know like if he just wants to co- concentrate on Michael that's one approach but there's so much in that and I thought like the lasting effect of having um, out of a family of um, three kids and the parents having the mum pick up and just take one of the children and basically I know. bring them up yeah. in another country Hard. is mm. shocking like the mm. and I, I don't know maybe I just wanted a bit more of that mm. from from the documentary mm. but yeah I think it's also it's interesting the way that Lowen's sort of deals with death in not just this um, but also Autoilluminescent and his role in S. Howard documentary which I adore and also in Dogs in Space which we're going to talk about next um, I guess the way that I wouldn't say he fleets over it but it's not his kind of key focal point it's more about this sort of life that goes around mm. you know there, there wasn't a real sort of heavy focus on his death in this not at mm. all. In fact, um, we, I made a comment with my husband after watching it last night uh, and he said, wow, I, I wanted to kind of see In Excess's response to this, like the rest of the band, and it wasn't. He didn't sensationalise it at all and um, I like that. Well, I really like that. I didn't need to see. I'm sure In Excess were absolutely devastated. Why do we need to 
you know, see the tears or... Yeah, exactly. There was his personal assistant who stop talking and and that was enough you mm. could see that that effect that um his death had on on someone and and i think it goes without saying so yeah. it's and not also, needed and it kind of ties um back to what you were saying earlier um emma about the fact that listening to the voice is so different because when mm. you hear those breaks and when you hear someone um not being able to continue their sentence because they're overwhelmed with emotion i think that's really powerful yeah yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Well, um, Mr. Fi is screening currently at all good independent cinemas. If um, you are feeling concerned or distressed at all about any of the content that we have just discussed, please call Lifeline on 13114. They operate 24 hours. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. The next film that we're going to be looking at is Dogs in Space, (laughs) um, which is our retro pick for the week. So it's set in Melbourne in 1978. A large group of young people share a dilapidated house in the inner city suburb of Richmond. Sam sings in the rock group called Dogs in Space. His girlfriend, Anna, works in a nursing home and has ambitions of becoming an airline stewardess. Tim plays electronics in the band and Lucio, poor old Lucio, is just (laughs) studying for his engineering exams. The house is frequented by dozens of friends and acquaintances who share a common interest in music, drugs and archival space footage. Um, Dogs in Space uh, kind of seemed like a no-brainer for a retro pick tonight because we were doing Mystify and it was my retro pick. Uh, This is a really kind of special formative film for me. I used to sit around with friends when I was 15 and drink goon and watch this and go geez one day (laughs) one day and then i do i do definitely think i lived my dogs in space period in my 20s and then revisiting it it was like gee i'm glad that's over and done with (laughs) it's not sustainable (laughs) but geez it is like this film is an icon it's an australian icon it's a melbourne icon and rightfully so like it's absolutely incredible like re-watching this this week i just had such a blast (laughs) One of my favourite things about it, though, was listening to all the little conversations happening when they were having parties. And my partner said to me, goes, God, it just sounds like all of Fitzroy shoved into one room. <laughs> It's um, it's just was Richard Lowenstein doing a Robert Altman? I think so. The idea of that little interweaving of because conversations. That's it. There's yeah. especially, I think the the party scene sort of towards the end. It does. The camera does just go around, and we hear these little snippets of conversation that happen. There's, you know, land rights, how women are being treated, Skylab, well, <laughs> Skylab. One of my favourite bits is someone says, "Who's been using my fucking pan to cook meat in again?" And she yes! throws it out the window. I was like, "That's me." <laughs> Also because so many of the characters aren't necessarily listening to the other person. Yeah. It's like very much a soapbox sort of <laughs> style. It's great. It's great. It's yeah. so fantastic. But, um, yeah, this <laughs> is just I, – I, God, I don't even know where to start with Dogs in Space. It's incredible. It's just such an icon <laughs> and it really, really deserves to be. It's fantastic. I, I think it's, it's a film that uh, has a unique place, uh, mm. especially not just a unique Australian place but a unique Melbourne place. Yep. And it plays out to Melburnians in a very particular way. 
Uh, I think everyone probably knows of or knows someone who knows of someone who's been in Dogs in Space. Yes, it's, yeah, I, th- I definitely it's think that, that too. Or, and, and, you know, I, I was actually talking to a friend who, you know, posted of her extras experience being an extra, being trawled um, from bars around Melbourne and gone, you've got the look come in and in a rocks out kind of way come in and no, no, appear no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> appear in our movie and um ironically she said that there was um signs up all over the walls that said absolutely no drug taking on set and <laughs> stuff like that which is kind of cute yeah. but um i i often wonder the way Dogs in Space plays out and is so dear to Melburnians how it would uh, play to someone who's non-Australian, let's say. Um, we've got some yeah. people who listen to Plato's Cave who are in America. I do know quite a few people that are not from Australia that are big Dogs in Space Really? Fans. Yep. I can, um, mm. so it's not quite not Australia, but I'm from Western Australia. <laughs> um, well, that's a long way from far, Melbourne. <laughs> it's about the same as an international flight, mm-hmm. so same distance. But I I am going to be very unpopular right now and say I wasn't crazy about it. You know what? My partner, he's from Western Australia oh. too, and he's not a huge dog's in space. Yeah, maybe either. we do we do punk differently yeah, over there. Yeah, maybe. It's possible. We, no, don't, we do definitely do yeah. share housing similar. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I... <laughs> I don't know. I was expecting. I like. Okay, I say. I Have say you this seen a, this before, though? No. Flick. All right. So I'm seeing okay. this. Your first time. Right. Yeah. Right. My first. Yeah. So I and also it's one of those things. Obviously, I understand. I'm not from Melbourne, so there might be some references. I was really into punk, but I wonder whether. Um, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a few disclaimers, but and also the fact that it's lasted this long. Like I can't discount it. I just mm-hmm. was expecting to love it because I, um, Sally, you were sharing some of your favourite quotes on socials, yes. and then I was getting excited about <laughs> going to see it, and then I was like, oh, I don't know if I liked it that much. Yep. I was kind of, it was just so, it's so chaotic. And everyone is so angry and I found a bit, I was just a little bit stressed. It's very caustic. I, yeah. There is something about the dogs in space and I have to say, I'm not a, I'm not the fan that that, that Sally is by any <laughs> means. I have a, a kind of, I, I feel, uh, people talk about loving dogs in space. I don't love dogs mm-hmm. in space. I find it's very curious and funny. Yeah. But I think that the idea that, the idea of having this very loose narrative or almost n- not there um, is it works in small degrees mm. but not across the whole film yeah and it does and if you first of all I don't think Michael Hutchins is very good <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he is either, he's terrible to be honest. I, don't, I don't think he holds the film up but I no, think that Lowenstein ended up getting this movie made just because of Hutchins oh, involvement. they wanted In Excess to be the band, mm. didn't they? But, but thankfully not, because that would have been... It would have been a totally also, different film. Wrong. Mm. Also, can we just point out that it was a massive financial flop? <laughs> it, they spent $2 million to make a house Where? look terrible. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah, we had to spend $2 million this film. <laughs> but the, the, the thing when I they think lit that... the TV on fire, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they do crash a car. Oh, no, they, no, no, they no. crash a car. Oh, crash a car. They, they, there's a limo at one point. There's, no, <laughs> Apparently, I did look this up because I was curious. I was like, how did this... Um, they've got a very... It's the first vertical uh, panning um, shot used in Australia. Okay. Oh, that's oh, interesting. Oh, that's where right. the money went. I don't know if that cost a $2 million, but... <laughs> I will say Andrew DeGroote's camera work is really mm. beautiful. I, I 
re-watching it this time and I was looking for things like that that I did find the camera work incredible. And also we looked last year at the documentary about Jill Bilcock, the Australian yes. editor, who, you know, this edited is... Edited this, yes. Edited this and, you know, a really brilliant job. But, yeah, this for me, this film for me was just such a rite of passage, you know, hanging out, being in a, you know, punk scene as what, a teenager. This and this was this what film is to people. we would do is we'd yeah. just get together on the weekend and be naughty and watch dogs in space. <laughs> this is what it, and you can't discount that and the power of yeah. that. Yeah. I think that what re-watching it, what was alarming, first of all, I did think it looked better than I remembered, but I was watching a restored print. So I think that actual rest, rest, restored print is quite... Uh, more detail Mm -hmm. and and it was quite remarkable Um, the thing that stood out to me is the work that Saskia Post does for this film she is the heart of this movie she's amazing and she has like Hutchins you don't get any insight into his eyes you don't get it to see his eyes properly her she's the one that acts into the camera he even feels really irritating to be in this film like what i was saying when i came away from watching mr fine i had a whole different perception of him in my mind because yes mr fine does not feature this film does it is that i can't remember it and it was cut it was (gasps) cut from it yeah so they did have some stuff on dogs in space but it was cut from it but um the oh, way also as a side, I do love the fact that in Mystify how exciting they got about Countdown, and that's like I know exactly what they love Countdown. That's a nice um, little reference. Yeah, Michael Hutchins in this film, it just really irritates me. Like I find oh, him very oh, irritating. Roll around on the floor and get just way into people. Like if someone got that close to my face, I'd be like, piss off. Um, <laughs> She's wonderful in it. Like She's Anna amazing. is a beautiful, They're, beautiful character. And also, what we we're saying, similar to what we were saying before about the way in which Lowenstein's able to capture these moments, these like really intimate moments. I think that he does that well in there. Um, they have um, there's two sex scenes that are actually really well. Um, choreographed and really like quite an intimate moment. I think that for me was <laughs> the, only, I, the only thing I was like, oh, that was really well shot and I really mm-hmm. got into that. But I didn't otherwise like him as a character at yep. all. And I kind of thought that the um, ending was a little bit tacked on. And, mm-hmm. and it's something I really love um, music um, films that kind of think about the experience of watching music live. And I just think like been done so much better with like um Winterbottom's like um Michael Winterbottom's 24-hour party people and who <clears throat> really oh, nine songs. I love this more than 24-hour really? party people yeah, I think yeah. for me like and especially if we're going to think about like punk the punk scene mm-hmm. I thought that even though it's a very short scene in it um Jeremy Solnia's uh Green Room this 2016 yes, that was film. a great film excellent and that wonderful captured for me what it's like to be in the middle of like yep. the crowd when you're listening to a punk set so mm-hmm. I don't know I just it didn't when the band finally performed I was like I don't think I think they kind of suck yeah. <laughs> like, I wasn't into it sorry I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get deported I no, I'll never no, brought back you're, here. you're entitled to your opinion <laughs> it's fine we do have to, I, Sally's crying <laughs> I did really enjoy the um the lay the layering of sounds I think that that worked well I liked the the wandering camera mm. um the characters in general in because no one was really a professional actor in it they just were kind of acted like assholes you know mm. prickly assholes you know mm. alana hill who plays quite a um a main side character in it should we say is now you're a very best friend anna's friend anna's friend <laughs> yes is just you know 
awful but you know she's not an actress she's a fashion designer you Mm -hmm. know so it's it plays yeah it's I, but the 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 dialogue, like the the layering of audio, especially at the start, where Triple R gets mentioned, yes. um, is reminds me of something like which I like, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. with those idea of you know the AM, even though we're FM, uh, radio sounds playing and like the count, yeah, the countdown promos and the stuff that was the you know the stuff of the time. Like Steve, my husband Steve said he remembers that three XY competition where you if you got a piece of Skylab you get a thousand dollars. It's crazy, wow. yeah. And there was, there's also <laughs> that you know, they're trying to make <laughs> a piece of Skylab. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> And there was also that little, um, they do a road trip out to Ballarat, which was um, Victoria's first 7-Eleven, apparently. Did they go past Bacchus Marsh? They They would have. They would have. But that's one other thing that I really love about this film is that they just keep selling Ballarat all the way through. I I love it. (laughs) <laughs> There's so much to like about this. It is it me. is hilarious, but like you said as well, flick that end. I would have in some ways preferred it to just die out. Yes. Yeah, it didn't. Do you know need, what I mean? It didn't need that sort of it, climax to it. It I felt just like it, a desperate attempt to make a film out of it. Yeah. And it also a little bit. I don't know, sort of strangely morally And you've got no, you've got, you've got no narrative. I, I, the, the idea is a loose narrative, so keep it loose. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't I, try I and wind it up. as well, what you were saying, Flick, re-watching this, that it did find, I, I did feel that it was being a little bit too moral yeah. when it shouldn't be. And also it, it's, that, that's, yeah. not, that's not the heart of this film. And also it's kind of a shame mm. because there were, the bits that I liked the most out of it was the, they'd have these um, the little snippets of conversation you were saying before, Sally, and the um, political commentary in those, those moments. I know a lot of it's satire, but it was actually quite on the point. There was yeah. one line, I can't remember it exactly, but I was like, ooh, that's, uh, that rings true today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was so really much of it where it's and, like it's still exactly, yeah. you know, we should have progressed past this, but we haven't. Mm. So those of you that are interested in visiting Dogs in Space for the first time or revisiting it for the however um, many <laughs> like myself, it's currently <laughs> streaming on SBS On Demand and it's also on Amazon Prime. Three, triple. Ah. Our third and final film for this evening is The Third Wife. Uh, in 19th century rural Vietnam, 14-year-old May becomes the third wife of wealthy landowner Hong. Soon she learns that she can only gain status by asserting herself as a woman who can give birth to a male child. May's hope to change her status turns into a real and tantalising possibility when she gets pregnant. Faced with forbidden love and its devastating consequences, May finally comes to an understanding of the brutal truth. The options available to her are few and far between. Um, Flick, you saw The Third Wife today. Mm. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a difficult film, to be honest. I, yeah, I saw it this afternoon. And I had heard about uh, some of the controversy surrounding the film um, from this is Ash Mayfair's. Is it her first film? I, I think so. Yeah, I think. I was yep. sort of trying to find a bit more information about her. I actually haven't watched much um, Vietnamese um, cinema, and I was kind of interested in in seeing this. And um, the controversy was around uh, the thirteen year old actress who is our, obviously the main protagonist. 
so I was kind of watching that with looking to see ah, how those scenes were She was only out. 13. I didn't know yes. that. Yes, yes. So yeah. yeah, she was 13. Mm. There's been a bit of a hullabaloo yeah. around that. Yeah. Mm. I think it was pulled uh, after four days of when it was first released. And so I, um, yeah, so I, I, I've watched it with, with knowing that sort of background to it. Um, I suppose one of the first things I thought of was the way in which Mayfair is able to capture a sense of tactility in the film and it reminded me a little bit of Jane Campion's work and the way in which she concentrates often on uh, footy like close medium close to medium shots of hands touching fabrics or water rushing mm, over bodies that's and that's a good point yeah mm. there's a lot of that it reminded me at least visually and orally because there's a lot of um a lot of the sounds are amplified and there's very little music in it actually as a side as a side note I went into um, a very packed screening this afternoon and at one point after a particularly disturbing scene um, this strange music sort of came through and it was really jangly and I was like oh this seems like such an odd choice at this time and okay maybe it's going to take it and I don't know take a different turn and it just was so it was just such an odd combination of just what you know what the character is meant to be feeling in this moment it was a ringtone yeah. oh, and ring I was tone. like oh, really <laughs> really oh, dear. anyway oh, dear. Uh, I'm glad it was a ringtone and not the actual music in the film because um, I think that that's one of the, the possibly <laughs> the best things about this film is the is the way in which there's a real restraint and maybe a bit too much restraint I, I kind of did start to think that um there's all these interesting elements and especially there's... I'm, I don't want to ruin the film for anyone, but there's a moment in which one of the, um, the characters says to another character that she loves her and I just I just couldn't place it and I was thinking it's strange. I haven't felt like there was any build-up to that and it wasn't... I didn't feel it. and I, Because we're dealing with a, a child character and I wondered whether this was meant to be a sort of... Um, uh, an uh, sort of an, what would you say, like a aftermath of trauma or the fact that she's been introduced to being, you know, she's a wife and I, it, I it, couldn't it, place it. With the presentation, the often, for some reason I thought of, and it's culturally a completely different film, but still Raise the Red Lantern or something like that. And that isn't a wife film, that's a courtesan film. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But um, that film... The comparison there was the the trauma right from the beginning yeah. of the experience. Also, how incredibly vivid and sharp the imagery was. This was very soft and washed, mm. which I think was, is, had a yeah. high sensuality. It was like sirens, don't, right? Don't you think that works against it? Though? Well, or really? is it? I don't, I don't I found, think so. I found yeah. that that particular bit that you're talking about, Flick. I didn't find it out of place at all. I found that there is our protagonist who's fourteen. Um, who is ha- having a sexual awakening of yes. any kind and it, mm. it didn't feel out of place for me. It felt well, like... Well, she's not, she's I, not I, against it. Like, she comes into this... Yeah, exactly. Expect- it's, she's, well, yep. happy, I don't know, but that's she's expected, expected that. Yep. Yes. Mm. Um, yes. It didn't feel out of place. It felt like a, an exploration of sexuality that... Um, happens with teenagers and yeah that that particular thing didn't feel out of place i actually think that what you were leading you were talking about coming out of the blue flick worked for me because it almost felt like the the whole film was 
rose-coloured glasses, you know, and her rose-coloured glasses. I I also feel that that particular thing, for me, it didn't come out of the blue because, I I don't know, I can't say because I don't want to give away any spoilers, (laughs) but there was one particular shot which led me to expect that to happen, Uh which I can talk to you Mm. off air about. Yeah, I think I suppose that I was maybe just, I I think it's a fascinating turning point of sorts and I I would have liked for it to have been explored more because that whole, um, uh, you know, the... Sorry, I'm trying to think of the words. The way in which, like, this sexual knowledge is passed down through the the women mm. and of different generations was actually really beautiful and possibly the most touching thing about the film. But I just was like, I wish that uh, the director had maybe uh, embedded that earlier and sort of had that as more of a, a thread, whereas I felt like it was there in little snapshots and I just didn't feel like there was enough build-up. So when that happens, it just felt a bit, like, tacked on for me. But I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. I just mm-hmm. wonder whether... I did love parts of that interaction, though, between... Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, it's not very, talking about a scene. <laughs> it's quite, it's a qu- quite a quiet film, let's say. <laughs> I think there's the first ten minutes are without dialogue. Mm. I was wondering if it was going to be a more silent film than it actually ended up being. And then the all the imagery um, was... Pointedly, birth, death, life process imagery, like even the silk cocoons, this idea of egg, and there was this ritualistic sexual thing with sucking the egg out of the navel. Yeah, yeah, really liked that. (laughs) There was a it lot was of gasps in the audience I went to. Really? That. And, really? Also, and also there was yeah. tisking at one point. <laughs> really? Someone t- the, yeah, characters got tutted during my really? at, at, at what point? Can you remember what <laughs> point? Uh, just certain certain events. Uh, no, I don't want to give away too much, but just okay. if a character out acted a little bit badly, there was a lot of tutting. I was mm. in a circus, basically, of an audience. Yeah, I genuinely, I loved this film. Um, I went into this film not knowing anything about it, to be honest, and I loved it. I love the gentleness of it. I really, I liked her whole kind of, you know, teenage sexual exploration, the sort of the situation that she was stuck in. I'm not saying I like that, but I like the way that it was presented. Um, I liked how it came through as just her getting little snippets of information from women that were older than her Um and it was just kind of through small pieces of conversation that we were privy the to that. The female dynamic. I really is very, enjoyed it. I really, really liked this film. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and and also it had while we're talking about this quiet f- film and soft wash palette and everything, it actually um, gets to a stage. I'd say the last thirty minutes I would describe it is uh, quietly devastating. Yeah, yeah, the, and That's there's the also a lot of. Um, small but significant acts of rebellion, which I thought was mm. quite interesting in the way, and especially because of the youth of the main protagonist. I thought that that was actually quite powerful. And even the younger girls, so some of the daughters of the second wife. But it was very it was very Shakespearean in some ways and yeah, very, was. you know, soap opery mm. <laughs> in the relationships and everything that you can, mani- you know, in these small... Just like in any village, I guess you have all these crazy relationships and, you know, people getting together who shouldn't get together. And Yeah. Yeah, I I liked it. I think it had a very unique feel. Yeah, I did. I really, really enjoyed The Third Wife. Um, If you are interested in seeing The Third Wife, it is currently screening at all good independent cinemas. You've been listening to Plato's Cave on 3RRR with Emma Westwood, Flick Ford and myself, Sally Christie. 
On tonight's show, we have discussed Mr. Fire, Michael Hutchins, and The Third Wife, which are both screening at all good independent cinemas. We also revisited the Melbourne icon Dogs in Space, which is streaming on SBS On Demand and Amazon Prime. In the cave next week, we will be looking at Booksmart, Crawl, and a surprise retrospective film picked by Cerise Howard, which we don't know what that is yet, but I'm sure it'll be fantastic. We don't know where Cerise is. We don't know where she is. I'm, <laughs> we're somewhere hoping. in Eastern Europe. She's in, she's in Eastern Europe somewhere. She should be back here next week Cerise with a retro Sandy. film for us to talk about. <laughs> Hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> so we'll keep you updated when, when we know what that is. So you can subscribe to Plato's Cave Podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcast. Podcasts. A huge thanks to Faith Everard for editing um, Plato's Cave and also for paneling the show and to Lisa Kovacevic for producing the show. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.